The Seahawks have never had a rookie of the year in their entire existence as an NFL franchise with two rookies as finalists on offense and defense. Will that finally change in 2022? I'm going to be breaking it all down in our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Those of you that are watching on YouTube, there is a chance you will see a special guest host today. As I speak right now, there is actually a kitten laying on my lap. I tried to lock her out. Uh, that didn't necessarily work well. So she's going to be along for the ride. Hopefully she'll be quiet throughout the entire show. But you may have some input on some Seahawks-related topics. Going to be diving into the Rookie of the Year race on offense and defense. The Seahawks have a finalist on both sides of the ball. Did either player have a chance to win the award and become the first Seahawk ever to be named Rookie of the Year? Plus, taking a look at what other quarterback options the Seahawks might be exploring behind the scenes while also working on re-signing Geno Smith. And wrapping up the show, taking a look at our first position group in review, the safety group, handing out grades and taking a look at the 2022 season for that position group. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players if they score more or less in their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Since their first season in 1976, the Seahawks, believe it or not, with all of the talented rookies they've had over the years, they have actually never had a player win the Rookie of the Year award on offense or defense. There's a chance that that could change, and maybe in both offense and defense this season, with Ken Walker III and Tariq Woolen both being announced as finalists for the 2022 Rookie of the Year Award on offense and defense. It would obviously be a historic season for the Seahawks if either one of these players won. If both of them win, that'd be pretty spectacular considering they hadn't even had one player since 1976 win this award. So what I'm going to be doing here, taking a close look at the three finalists and whether or not the Seahawks candidate has a chance to win on offense and defense. And let's start on the offensive side of the football. The third being the the year along with Jets receiver Garrett Wilson and Saints receiver Chris Olave, both those players from Ohio State having spectacular first seasons in Seattle. You look at the numbers, Ken Walker III, over 1,000 rushing yards, just the second running back in Seahawks history to accomplish that as a rookie. Garrett Wilson with the quarterback situation the Jets had, over 1,100 receiving yards and 83 receptions. That is a remarkable accomplishment with them having about five quarterbacks play this year and none of them being able to secure the starting job looking like a long-term answer. That was one of the worst offenses in the NFL. And Chris Olave didn't have much better of a situation with Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston splitting reps at the quarterback position for the Saints. He went over 1,000 yards. I think when you look at this particular race, Walker has several things working in his favor. For one, Running backs, they might not necessarily be valued in some areas of the football community, but running backs tend to do really well 
in rookie of the year balloting. And typically players that come into the league in the running back position, they're more ready to hit the ground running figuratively and literally. And Walker was able to do that once he got his chance with Rashad Penny going down in week five, he became the starter. And so he rushed for over a thousand yards, not starting the first four games in the season. And he missed a game in the second half of the season as well. The fact that he scored nine touchdowns, that certainly helps his cause too. And I think it's also worth noting, if you watch Seahawks games closely, this offensive line in some aspects was better than I anticipated they were going to be. The pass protection dwindled a little bit in the second half. And then Kind of hit a uh, kind of hit a relapse in a good way in the final few games where they were able to get back to what they were doing early in the season, but the run blocking on the other hand, after a small little four game stretch where the Seahawks actually won all those games, a four game winning streak, and the run game was going, the run blocking completely went away, and they weren't able to create push. And Ken Walker the third had several bad games in a row. And a lot of that wasn't on him. He didn't have the blocking in front of him. So I think when you consider the offensive line he was running behind and the fact they had two rookie tackles that came from air raid and uh, run and gun offense, run and shoot offenses at the college level, they were not well equipped to be run blockers coming into the league. Their specialty was pass protection for him to run for a thousand yards behind that offensive line. I think that that says something. Of course, as I mentioned with Garrett Wilson, look at the quarterbacks he had thrown to him. Zach Wilson got benched not once, but twice. Mike White played a few starts and had some decent moments, but also had some games that he didn't play well. He's not a long-term starter at the quarterback position. Joe Flacco was well past his prime. And Chris Streveler, he is a running quarterback that was on the practice squad most of the year. So you look at the quarterbacks that he had throwing to him, for him to have over 80 receptions, over 1,100 receiving yards, that is quite an accomplishment too. So if I had to order this out, I would say Alave would finish in third in my voting here. And then I would have Garrett Wilson number two. I think that Ken Walker the third has a very good chance to win this award because of the thousand yards rushing. And he didn't even start the first four games of the season. He missed a game later in the year. And to do it behind the offensive line that he did, I think is an incredible accomplishment. The nine touchdowns is really the difference maker to me compared to Garrett Wilson, who only found the end zone four times. So I can see this being a very close race, but I think that Ken Walker III has the inside track for that award. And he, again, would be the first offensive player in Seahawks history to win Rookie of the Year. On defense, we've gone through this a few times. And a few weeks ago, I had an interesting take on this that, you know, and I still agree with this to an extent. Impact plays are what win these awards. And Tariq Woolen with his league-leading six interceptions, that still stands out when you compare it to Sauce Gardner and Aiden Hutchinson, the two other finalists for this award. But Sauce Gardner had more tackles, 18 pass breakups. So he got his hands on the football a lot. And the more that I have thought about this, and I think part of this also boils down to what Tariq Woolen did in the last couple games of the season. I didn't think that he had a great finish to the year. And I'm not going to consider the wild card game for this Rookie of the Year award. I think it's a regular season award. That was his worst game of the season. San Francisco was able to take advantage of him with dig routes. And really, they were scheming things up to beat Seattle's cover three defense. And they did it frequently with Tariq Woolen, unfortunately, being on the receiving end where he was in trail to Brandon Ayuk several times. That game is not weighing in my mind. But I'm looking back at that head-to-head matchup. Yes, the Seahawks beat the Jets, but Sauce Gardner shut down. DK Metcalf held him to three yards on the afternoon and he was that good all season long. So while the turnovers are great, three fumble recoveries, six interceptions, 
Tariq Woolen would deserve this award. I, I really would like to see this be a co-defensive player of the year type situation because I think both these guys have reasons to stake claim to it. But I can't ignore at this point that Sauce Gardner was first in completion percentage against, first in passer rating against, led the NFL in pass breakups, only allowed one touchdown. Tariq Woolen, according to Pro Football Focus, gave up five. Even NFL Next Gen Stats, they had him down for giving up three. That is still significantly more than what Sauce Gardner gave up. And so some Seahawks fans may say, oh, no, you're giving in to East Coast bias. No, I just have revisited this and then look at the last couple games. I would lean towards Sauce Gardner, and that's actually who I voted for on my Pro Football Writers Association ballot over Tariq Woolen. But I had both these guys as the all-pro selections. That's how close this is. I think both of them had fantastic seasons. But I just can't ignore all the statistics that Sauce Gardner is in first overall. And seeing him in person in that game in Seattle uh, certainly changed my mind as well. I think that this is a very close race, and either guy winning it would be acceptable to me. They both are deserving. But I actually went with Sauce Gardner on this one, and I think that voters are going to be leaning that way just because Gardner had such a dominant season. Didn't have the interceptions, but everything else is lining up in his favor. And I just think it reaches a point you can't ignore the fact that he truly was a shutdown corner in year one. And as good as Tariq Woolen was, teams were able to get some plays on him this year in the passing game, and they scored five touchdowns against him this season as well. We'll see what happens. There's a good chance that both Walker and Woolen could win these awards and have a sweep, which would be fantastic considering the Seahawks have never had a rookie of the year. It's also possible that neither one of them will win it. I do think that Ken Walker III has a better chance to win. And the fans chiming in before this episode agreed, giving Walker a 69.6% edge here as far as which player on the Seahawks has a better chance to win the Rookie of the Year. Honors Tariq Woolen at 30.4%. And a lot of the responses I saw Pretty similar to me where it's not taking anything away from Woolen, but Sauce Gardner, the numbers that he has posted, it's just too much to ignore. Had a fantastic season. Either one of these guys would be a good pick. But just making the finalists, not something that happens very much for Seahawks rookies. They have two players with a legitimate opportunity to win Rookie of the Year, and that's an exciting development for the present and most certainly for the future for the Seahawks. Speaking of the future, we've had a lot of talk about the quarterback position over the past few days, and Everything seems to be pointing towards Geno Smith being under center for the Seahawks in 2023. But should John Schneider and Pete Carroll be considering some other options as they go through their offseason agenda? I'm going to take a look at three different scenarios that could potentially play out for the Seahawks at the quarterback position this offseason when we return on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball to soccer and esports. They've got it all at BetOnline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Glad to have you on board, all the 12, whether it's your first time listening or you are a regular listener. We greatly appreciate your support. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On NFL podcast to get your daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories, plus in-depth analysis on the biggest games with NFL key predictions every Friday and Monday. Local insiders cover the weekend with game-to-game episodes. Locked on NFL is available on the YouTube app as well as other places 
that you listen to podcasts. You look back this week, Seahawks officially in offseason mode, and Pete Carroll and Geno Smith, they made their intentions very clear. From Carroll's standpoint, he said that Geno Smith is a Seahawks guy and that he's a big part of the reason they're so optimistic about the future. And as for Geno Smith, after the wild card loss to the 49ers on Saturday, made it clear he wanted to finish his career in Seattle and he feels like he owes the city and the team for sticking with him and having faith in him. Everything is pointing towards Geno Smith being the quarterback of the Seahawks. And I think when it's all said and done, that's what's going to happen. At least in 2023, Geno Smith is going to be under center. He's going to be starting again. He has earned a lucrative contract after making the Pro Bowl last year. One of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL and a lot of significant statistics. And that was on a team that wasn't supposed to win very many games. Again, it was a storybook season for Geno Smith. But when you look at where the Seahawks are at right now, they've got a very nice foundation with this 2022 draft class. They've got four picks in the top 60 coming up in the 2023 NFL draft. This is a young team that is built to be contending for a Super Bowl with a few more pieces. And with those high draft picks, it creates an opportunity the Seahawks have not had during the John Schneider, Pete Carroll era. That's to go out and get a young quarterback and with what they did this past season, you know, maybe John Schneider and Pete Carroll are having some discussions about putting Drew Locke back under center and seeing if they can run it back again with a cheaper quarterback. There's a lot of things that I expect are going to be kicked around behind the scenes. Again, I think that Geno Smith is the quarterback of this football team, but the Seahawks, they deploy this always compete philosophy. They are not living up to their philosophy if they're not looking into other alternatives here given the state of the team and, and believing that they're just getting started, you know, if you can find something that's a better fit at quarterback while retooling the rest of your roster to contend, you have to look into those things. And so I want to discuss just three options that the Seahawks have if they decide to move on without Geno Smith. And I don't think that it is 100% in the books that Geno Smith is going to be here. Again, I think he will be the starter, but I could see something crazy happening. Again, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they think outside the box. And if Geno Smith wants 35 to 40 million a year and he isn't wanting to sign a franchise tag, that may force the Seahawks' hand a little bit or it may lean them towards, you know what? We think we can win with another quarterback that's going to cost less. So let's go that route. So looking at these three options, these, these are the three options I can see the Seahawks going with at the quarterback position this year. And many fans have asked me about this. Are there any other options for the Seahawks? Of course there are. Are they better than what they currently have? That is debatable. And the first one here, a player that's been in-house, the first option the Seahawks have is to re-sign Drew Locke and roll the dice again. He is not going to be commanding that much money. He didn't play a single snap for the Seahawks during the 2022 season. He's going to be making less than $10 million. If you were able to sign Geno Smith for $3.5 million base salary last year, I don't expect that Drew Locke is going to get that much more than that unless there's another team out there that still looks at his potential and thinks Let's sign him to a 9 or $10 million deal, have him compete for the starting job against a rookie. Maybe that opportunity is there. But if the Seahawks wanted to allocate some of the money that's being, uh, that's being bookmarked for Geno Smith, if they wanted to allocate that money for other positions, this is not a football team that is in a position right now where they don't have many holes. There are holes across the roster littered everywhere that they need to find upgrades if they want to compete for a Super Bowl. 
And there's only so much money to go around, especially if you pay a quarterback 30 plus million dollars. If John Schneider and Pete Carroll decide, you know what, we love our system. We think that we can develop quarterbacks in our system. And we think that Drew Locke can have a rebirth season similar to the one that Geno Smith had this year. Then I could see him doing this and deciding, you know what, we tried to negotiate. It didn't work out. We didn't want to use the franchise tag. We're going to move forward with Drew Locke at a quarterback position. And this could lead into the second option I'm going to be talking about here in a second as well. But I don't think that this is a strong likelihood this is going to happen. But I also would not be 100% surprised if they ended up trying to do this because they could use that money to retool the rest of the roster. It would be bucking trends. It would be zigging while the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the NFL seems to zag. But the Seahawks already had house money going here by trading Russell Wilson, then going to Geno Smith. So I don't think this happens, but it's certainly something to keep on the table. It sounds like they would like to keep both quarterbacks. I don't know if that's going to be possible because I do think Drew Locke will have a few suitors out there that at least want to bring him in and maybe be able to offer a little more money than the Seahawks can for a backup position. What seems like it's the most likely alternative for the Seahawks. Again, this is not normal for John Schneider or Pete Carroll. They have had two picks in the top 10 in their previous 12 drafts. It's not something they get to do very often. They picked Charles Cross at number nine last year, and then their first year together, they picked Russell Okung in 2010 to upgrade their offensive line. And so this has not been an opportunity they've had very many times. And you look back at those two drafts, last year was not known as a really good quarterback class, and 2010 was not known as a really good quarterback class after the first couple guys went well before the Seahawks were on the board, that was not considered a strength in either draft class. This time around, you've got three talented quarterbacks that are getting top 10 buzz. You've got Bryce Young from Alabama, C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, and Will Levis from Kentucky. Those three players are consistently getting notice as top 10 picks. When I look at all these major draft outlets, a lot of big talents in Power 5 conferences, I think Bryce Young is going to be the number one overall selection, whether that's a team trading up with the Chicago Bears or the Bears deciding, you know what, Justin Fields, we're going to trade you and we're going to pick a new quarterback. I think Bryce Young goes number one. Where the other quarterbacks go depends on how that pegging order develops there. A couple of these guys might not be there when the Seahawks pick at number five, and so that could change their game plan as well. But if C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, if they really like him, I'm not as high on him as a scout looking at the Kentucky film, but certainly has the physical tools. If the Seahawks fall in love with him at number five, maybe that's your pick. And they also have pick number 20. So maybe a player like Anthony Richardson from Florida, if he's still there, high ceiling, but very raw player that I thought might stay another year. He has declared for the draft. If he's there at number 20, the Seahawks may not be able to resist. Hendon Hooker from Tennessee is coming off an ACL tear. He's an old rookie too. He's 25 already, but Clearly a big-time talent. If they wanted to take him in the second round, that's a possibility. So this is probably the most likely scenario here. Geno Smith getting re-signed and one of these quarterbacks being picked. But if they take one of the top five, they will already have made their decision on Geno Smith before that point anyway. If they decide we're going to move on, it's too expensive for us, and they pick a quarterback at number five, there's a real chance whoever they pick there could be playing right away on day one. Maybe they have Drew Locke and a rookie together on the roster, and Locke gets a chance to compete again against an incoming rookie. But that would be an interesting scenario there because, on one hand, you like the quarterback you have, but 
you haven't had a chance to pick an elite talent at the top of the draft like you are going to have this year. And there's no guarantee that you're going to have that opportunity next year when you only have one first-round pick, at least if you don't trade down to get one for next year. You're only going to have one pick in the 2024 draft. Who knows if you're going to have a chance to be high enough to be able to get one of the top quarterbacks if you need to go that route two drafts from now. So I certainly think that John Schneider and Pete Carroll are going to be considering that option as well. And this is the one that seems the most far-fetched. Looking outside the box, swinging the fence for a proven veteran in free agency or via trade. The three big-name free agents that are expected to be out there, Tom Brady, there's less than zero chance he's playing for the Seattle Seahawks. So not even going to go down that rabbit hole, but he's going to be a free agent. Jimmy Garoppolo, a player, there were some rumors last year Seattle may have had some interest in him, weren't going to be trading with the 49ers in the division. He's going to be hitting the market. And Derek Carr, his days with the Raiders are done. And I think Derek Carr is a pretty solid quarterback that's going to be able to help some teams out there. Going to be an upgrade. Would he be an upgrade over Geno Smith? That, I think, is debatable, but all three of those players are probably going to be in that similar price range to what Geno Smith is going to be asking for. If they think that that player is a little better than Geno Smith, then maybe they could consider this. I think that's a long shot. And following Richard Sherman's advice, of course, you could call the Baltimore Ravens and see about Lamar Jackson, but that is another one that feels like it's less than 0% that that's going to happen. You'd have to have both Geno Smith and Lamar Jackson signing their franchise tags there's going to be other picks included. They're not going to be doing a straight swap. The Seahawks are going to have to give picks with Geno Smith to the Baltimore Ravens. And then you have to turn around and give Lamar Jackson a contract that's probably going to be around $50 million per year. And he's reportedly wanting a fully guaranteed deal. This seems like a lot of red flags that John Schneider and Pete Carroll don't want to deal with for an ascending football team. Though I would make the argument that he is the one quarterback on this list at this stage of his career only 26 years old, an MVP a couple of years ago, has never had the receiving core he would have in Seattle. He would be the one player on here that I think would be the clear and obvious upgrade over Geno Smith compared to the other veterans on there. So John Schneider likes bold moves. If he wanted to make a few phone calls there and something came into fruition, you know, maybe Richard Sherman is a prophet and doesn't know it. But I would be stunned if this happens. It seems least unlikely of these three options that they're going to be going to free agency for another older quarterback like a Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, or making a blockbuster trade for Lamar Jackson one year after they did the opposite, sending Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. Most likely, Geno Smith is going to be the guy. But they're not doing their due diligence if they're not looking into all these opportunities. And depending on what Geno Smith's asking price is, their plans could certainly change in coming weeks. If negotiations don't go well, they could look into other options. And there certainly are some good players in the free agent market at the quarterback position. And this is an intriguing quarterback class in the draft as well. So they've got alternatives. They're not doing themselves any favors if they're not looking into all these different avenues and they could potentially still have Gino on the roster and draft a quarterback as well that those two things don't have to be exclusive coming up next here we're going to start our positional grades on the defensive side of the football today going to be looking at safety dishing out grades what went right what went wrong and of course looking at a future prognosis of that position heading into the 2023 offseason you're listening to the locked on Seahawks podcast this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but don't want all the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me, when you want to eat healthier, but don't want to compromise taste, then I've got the thing for you. 
you got to try Built Bars. With Built Bars, health is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. It's perfect for your New Year's resolution. And what makes them so good is they're covered in 100% real chocolate in amazing flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like candy bars while having amazing macros. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. Now you don't have to wait around to get a box in the mail either. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or your Sam's Club. That's right. Head to the nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to have all the 12s out there making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. As we go into off-season mode over the course of the next several weeks, going to be breaking down individual position groups and handing out a final year-end report card. And since I just talked Geno Smith and we've talked quarterback position a lot the last few weeks, we're actually going to start on the defensive side with one of the position groups that sometimes gets coined as the quarterback of the defense, and that is the safety position. And the Seahawks entered 2022 with incredibly high expectations. Jamal Adams coming back from shoulder surgery looked great in training camp. Quandre Diggs fully recovered from a broken leg, new three-year, $40 million contract in tow, Ryan Neal returning, Josh Jones had a great training camp. This looked like potentially the best safety group in the entire NFL, not just the starters, but the depth that they had with two guys that looked like they could start for a number of teams elsewhere. This looked to maybe be the strongest position on Seattle's roster group. Unfortunately, Group had something happen that they didn't anticipate in week one. And so I think we got to look at what went wrong first for this unit. Injury struck the Seahawks. Jamal Adams tearing his quad tendon in the first quarter of the season opener. He's done for the season. Who knows what his status looks like going towards 2023. Sounds like he's still got a long road to recovery ahead of him. Ryan Neal missed three games at the end of the year. Josh Jones, more than half the season, was on injury reserve with a hamstring issue. So injuries were really a problem for the Seahawks at safety. They also left a lot of tackles on the field with 34 missed tackles. And Quandre Diggs, as great of a finish as he had to this season, he dropped four interceptions this year, uncharacteristic of him, one of the best ball hawks in the NFL. For him to have that many interceptions in his grasp or bounce off of his chest, that's just out of character. And that really summed up the first part of the season for him. He just didn't look like the Quandre Diggs we were accustomed to seeing. He was missing a lot of tackles, missing opportunities to make interceptions. He turned up his game late in the season, though. And I think that's a big point here when we're looking at what went right for the Seahawks at safety this year. Quandre Diggs returned to the borderline all-pro that we are used and accustomed to seeing on the field. He was hawking the football. He was making big hits as a run defender. He only gave up 10 receptions this entire season. And so you could make a really strong argument that he was one of the top four or five safeties in the NFL this year, even with his first half falling flat of expectations. And I think some of that simply was the injury he was coming back from. He was trying to get his confidence back. He admitted he was playing hesitant at times still made a third straight Pro Bowl, still got some all-pro votes. And speaking of all-pro votes, Ryan Neal, that's the other thing that went right for the Seahawks team. 
there are not many teams that could have survived Jamal Adams going down to week one and missing the entire season. The Seahawks luckily had Ryan Neal available, and in his own right, he emerged as a legitimate all-pro talent. You look at the numbers that he put up per pro football focus. He led the NFL for safeties with six pass breakups. He had a sack. He forced two fumbles, had a couple of tackles for loss as well. So he definitely put himself in a position where he could be an all-pro candidate, got 12 points total from voters, and just narrowly missed out earning his first all-pro selection. So for him to do that, for him to be able to come through like that when Jamal Adams was out for the entire season, that was a huge boost for the Seattle Seahawks going through this season and eventually making the playoffs. So for that reason, I'm going to give the position group a B+. It could have been worse when you lose Jamal Adams for the season in week one. And you have a player like Quandre Diggs that's normally an elite free safety, and he's not not playing at his typical level early in the season. For them to weather those storms, for Diggs to finish the year strong, for Ryan Neal to play at a borderline all-pro level in place of Jamal Adams. And then you have players like Jonathan Abram who come in late in the season, and he gave them some good snaps down the stretch to help them make the playoffs. Tease Tabor, you can say the same thing about. They were able to make up for those injuries. They played well down the stretch. And so even though they weren't quite as good as we anticipated they were going to be and not having Jamal Adams out there was a buzzkill for this defense, this was still a strength for this football team. They struggled defending the run. Some of that was on the safeties not being able to come up and make tackles. But if you're asking your safeties to do that much, usually there are much bigger problems in your defense. And this group created turnovers. They made things happen up in the box. Quandre Diggs got involved a few times as a blitzer, as did Ryan Neal. So there's a lot to like about this group. And I think from a future standpoint, this is still a positional group that is poised to be one of the biggest strengths for the Seahawks next year. Of course, the big question mark is going to be what's next for Jamal Adams. We don't know what he's going to look like when he returns to the field. How much is the quad tendon injury going to impact his athleticism, the way that he moves on the field? Some guys coming back from this injury do just fine, and other ones, it can be a career-wrecking injury. So we'll see what it looks like. They are not going to rush him back. He may not even be out on the field when training camp starts in late July. They are going to wait things out and ensure he's 100% healthy and ready to go before they force the issue. If you can get him back healthy, that's going to be a big deal for the Seahawks. And as for Ryan Neal, he's going to be a restricted free agent. I think you got to give him the second-round tender with what he did this year. He absolutely earned a pay raise. You'd make over $4 million on that. That's a lot of money that you've got at the safety position because Quandre Diggs has an $18 million cap hit. Jamal Adams has a similar cap hit this year. If you're putting more than $4 million into Ryan Neal, that's a ton of money in safeties. And yet, all three of these guys should be playing a lot of snaps together, and they haven't gotten to see what that looks like because players haven't been able to stay healthy, in particular Adams. Can they keep these three players healthy? Because if they can, I think that's Seattle's best defense when they have Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs and Ryan Neal all on the field together in big nickel sets. I think it gives them the most flexibility and it gets their best players in the football field because Ryan Neal is one of the Seahawks' 11 best defenders. Even if they pick a few really nice blue chip players in the draft, I still think you've got to find ways to get him on the field. So, there's a lot of reason to be excited about this position group. Health continues to be the one lingering issue. And who knows what Jamal Adams is going to look like in this scheme because we really didn't get a chance to see it this year. But 
they're hoping, keeping their fingers crossed that he's going to be healthy. And if that's the case, you're going to have Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, and Ryan Neal out there. I think re-signing Jonathan Abram or Tease Tabor makes sense too. Both those players are going to be veteran minimum deals. They're not going to be asking for a bunch of money. So maybe bring back one of those experienced veterans that got some work in your system to provide some extra insurance. But this this still should be a really good group. And Joey Blunt as well, who had a good undrafted rookie season coming out of Virginia as a special teams player. He's somebody that they think maybe can play some snaps on defense at some point too. So this is a group that there's a lot to like about. The injury bug has been the biggest problem. Can you get Jamal Adams healthy? Can Quandre Diggs stay healthy and pick up where he left off here at the end of the season playing at the level that he was the last five or six games and can you get Ryan Neal on the field with both of them really that is the biggest key can you get significant snaps with all three of those players on the field if you can this still should be one of the biggest strengths for the Seahawks and a top three safety group in the NFL if not the best safety group in the NFL as always you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on a Friday show, I'll be joined by Nick Lee for our Blue Friday episode. The two of us will take a look at Seattle's upcoming opponents for 2023. And of course, we'll have our annual weekly Blue Friday game as we'll be taking a look at the season as a whole. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday and thanks for listening.